Well, good morning, Bethel. It, uh, it really has been a little bit of a secret dream of mine to be serving back at this church. And so I really am honored to be here and humbled to be behind and beyond the pulpit. And so thank you for letting me do this this morning. Uh, next month is family month. And so I just want to extend an invitation. If you uh, have students in middle school, if you have students in high school, um, even if uh, you have students coming up this summer, if they're in fifth or fourth grade, and you just want to know what Verge is about, student ministry is about, about the, we want to invite you on January 25th. Uh, we're having a parent verge. So we're going to do a mini version of verge, but for just the parents. Uh, as a team, we want to be partners with you in the discipleship of your students. And so we want to uh, tell you what our vision is. We want to tell you how we plan on accomplishing that. And then we want to ask questions of how can we serve you and how can we help you and what resources do you need? What series do you want us to teach on? And so we want to invite you 6.30, January 25th. Love to have you. Do I need to do something with my mic? No, it's good. All right. Um, <clears throat> we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to go back to verse 1. So if you have your fingers there, slide it back a few. We'll be in verse 1 in a second. But we're going to continue after seeing that Jesus Christ's timing, that he's never delayed, that Jesus didn't get distracted up in heaven. He forgot to respond to your prayer request, uh, but that Jesus, everything is for his glory. Everything is being executed how he wants it. Sometimes we get to be a part of his timing and his glory, and his power is never detached from his love and his compassion. We're going to see that even played out in our passage this morning. Uh, so uh, before we get to verse 1, let me pray one more time, because I, I just need to pray before we do this, and then we'll dig into Scripture. Let's pray one more time. Father, again, as we open up your word, Lord, we want to know you better. We want to understand your word we want to be sanctified by it this morning. So Lord, help us understand what you want us to know through the Spirit. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I sometimes get sucked into the YouTube uh, rabbit hole, one would say, and I start clicking one video after one video, and they normally are something like from Fail Army or Fail Blog. I love watching other people suffer mainly it's other people, not me, right? Uh, I, I would love to tell stories of when other things happen to other people. Those are the best stories to tell. But if you were to ask me, what's my most embarrassing moment, my most embarrassing thing? I'm not going to tell you because it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I don't want anyone to YouTube it. I don't want anyone to see it, right? But other people, if you're an observer, it's the best position to be in. Observing the craziness, observing the silliness, observing people walking the glass walls. It's all amazing stuff. And I put myself as an observer in Mark chapter 5 because Jesus and the disciples have a crazy day. And if I could be there, if I could actually be a part of what Jesus and disciples went through, it would be one of the most bizarre, crazy, amazing days of my life. And so let me explain what's happening in Mark chapter 5, what actually is going down. So the day starts with Jesus and, and the Pharisees getting into a fight. 
Jesus, of course, is casting out demons, and the Pharisees are all upset, saying, well, you're doing this because you're being in control, or you're possessed by Beelzebub himself. That's why you have authority over demons. And Jesus is like, that's ridiculous, right? Basically what he says. But then it transitions to later on in the morning, Jesus' mom and family show up and saying, Jesus, you're crazy. You're causing a scene. People are talking about you. Come back home. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going home, right? And this is where I put myself in. I, I don't know with Christmas if this is too close, but I'm sure there is some family drama, right? And if, uh, I, I don't like family drama, but if it's others, again, I'm like with the popcorn. I'm just like watching. I'm like, oh, this is good. Like, oh, what is he going to say? What is she going to do, right? I'm in there like Jesus is saying, no, I'm staying. Mary's like, no, you're coming home. No, you're going. And like, it's just back and forth drama. The disciples are off to the side like, what? is going on. This is a weird day. Later on, it gets a little bit more normal, a little bit more exciting. Disciples are observing some normalness. Jesus starts teaching, right? And the crowds start coming up to Jesus. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowd gets too much. And the disciples get Jesus in a boat. And they row out a little bit. And he's teaching. He's going to town. And the disciples are soaking up. They're just sitting there like, yeah, this is good. This is good. Learn, teach. This is amazing. But it gets longer in the day. The sun is beating down, and Jesus says, let's, let's take a break. I am tired. Let's go to the other side where the Gentiles are. They didn't really address that yet, but they get in the boat, and they row out. And we know in the middle of the lake, Jesus is exhausted. He's napping, and the storm comes. Sea of Galilee is like six or 900 feet below sea level. Storms break over the mountain ranges and storms come up really quick. And the boat is going left and right. And they wake up Jesus, terrified, scared, thinking Jesus doesn't care, that they're going to die. And Jesus gets up and says, peace, be still. And Jesus' authority is revealed that he is in control of creation. That's a weird thing to witness. Popcorn Andrew is a little bit scared. Sitting in the back of the boat, like what just happened, right? But also amazed at who this Jesus really is. They get to the other side after seeing all of that family drama, Pharisees, amazing teaching, storm, power, and then verse one happens. So, in your Bibles, let's read Mark chapter five. We'll just read verses one through seven. God's word says this They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him, him any more, not even with chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjourn you by God. Do not torment me. We are introduced to a new character in the day. This man is a most, most likely a Gentile, living on the Gentile side, living among these pigs. Uh, and, and this man was an outcast. This man was ignored, left, cast out by his family. He has no friends. His whole community didn't know what to do with him. And so they thought, 
our best option is to tie him up, and that did work. Our, our next best option is to chain him up, and let's drag him out to the caves. Let's drag him out to the cemetery and chain him there because we just don't know what to do. We don't want anything to do with him, and so they chained him in the catacombs. They chained him in the cemetery, and he broke free, and so now he's this wild, weird-looking thing that's roaming the mountains, screaming and crying out. And when we're introduced to him, the disciples look up on top of the hill, and Jesus looks up at the top of the hill. Popcorn Andrew looks up at the top of the hill and sees this thing. He is naked. He is covered in dirt. His hair is probably crazy. He has dried blood all over his body. He's been cutting himself, and so he might be bleeding. He might have infection. He has scars all over. He is more animal than human, and he comes running straight down towards Jesus. Disciples maybe step back a little bit. Popcorn Andrew is now, I'm in the boat. I'm like hunkered down, hiding. This is scary stuff. But Jesus, he doesn't shake. Jesus doesn't step back. He stands his ground. And this thing, this man, runs and right at the feet of Jesus. Crazy. Now this, do not get confused. He is not worshiping Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Nothing demonic, nothing evil worships God rightly. But they do know that God is greater, right? Someone said that when demonic meets divine, it's a no contest event. When the demon met Jesus, it's a no contest event. He just in his place. And he cries out, He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjourn you by God. Do not torment me. He's crying out this question. What are you going to do with me? What is your plan? You see, the demon wants to know, why is Jesus here now? This isn't part of the plan. Now, the demons know the end result. The end result is judgment. The end result is the lake of fire. The end result is losing but they are asking for something, not mercy, not grace, not forgiveness. They're asking for more time. You see, the demons are having a blast on earth. The demons want more time to ruin lives. The demons want more times to torment. The demons want more time to distract mankind from their creator. We want more time with this man. We, We can destroy, we can ruin more of him. Give us more time. Now, every commentator that I read, every book that I read about this passage mentions this one thing. Because I do think it's weird that this demon, this man, uses Jesus' title, right? He says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. So R.C. Sproul says it this way, Legion, the demon's name, likely addressed Christ in this way because the demons were trying to gain some advantage over him, people in the day commonly believe that if you speak another person's name, you would then have power over the named individual. Thus, Legion spoke the fullest name of Jesus in hopes of keeping the Lord from driving them out. Every commentator had a spin like that. He used the title to have power over Jesus in some way, shape, or form, which is laughable, isn't it? Demons thinking that just by saying the name of Jesus, using this full title, that they can push away, that they can put a shield between their creator 
and themselves. But they're asking, please don't destroy us, don't torment us, don't, don't throw us in the lake of fire early. We are having too much fun. And it looks like they're kind of talking over each other, verse 7 and 8, because Jesus says, for he was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So it seems like they're kind of like cross-talking. But then Jesus says this, he says, what is your name? What is your name? And like, Popcorn Andrew hiding in the boat. I would, have, I would have maybe peeked up a little bit. Ooh, this is getting good. All right. Jesus is in control. He's asking for information. I wouldn't know this guy's name, and so I would have popped up a little bit. Like, all right, what's, what's he going to say? What's his name? Who is this? I want to know this guy's story. But then he responds, and he says this. My name is Legion, for we are many. Ugh. Is that not terrifying? Not theologically, but just like story-wise, this is one of the scariest sentences, I think, in the Bible. I don't do scary. I don't even do suspense. It's too much for me. Popcorn Andrew is rowing away now. Like, I am not with the disciples. I've left Jesus. I've left the disciples. I am rowing away because that is terrifying, which is the point. That's what the demons want. In Roman terms, legion is something around 6,000 soldiers. And so for this, this now known group of demons, their name really is telling. They are a force. They're there to fight. They're there to destroy this man completely. The name is supposed to inflict fear. And it did, and it does for me, but not for Jesus Christ. He doesn't shudder. He's not scared. He's not afraid of demons. One, two, two thousand, six thousand. He is their creator. He is their king. It's a no contest event. The rest of the day for these popcorn disciples is just strange. Jesus dismisses the demons, right? Just get out of here. And they go into these 2,000 pigs. The pigs go mad. They go over a cliff and die, and people are all upset. But hopefully this morning, you're looking for the gospel somewhere in these passages. Mark chapter 5, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to know? You're looking for hope. You're looking for good news. You're looking for encouragement. Well, here it is. This morning, we see that God's timing Ultimately, it's for his glory, and for the most part, we are recipients and benefits of it. That God does not delay, he's not distracted, but uh, he is always working things out for his good. And as his children, as adopted sons and daughters of God, we are being blessed by him constantly. But also, here's some good news, God took this lost this abandoned, this rejected, dehumanized thing and redeemed it, restored him, right? Because the crowd comes back, and I picture, I picture a little bit like um, Beauty and the Beast mob with pitchforks and torches. Who killed our pigs? And they come marching down, and they walk up to Jesus, and they walk up to who they know, who, they, who is still dirty, who is still covered in blood. And look what it says in the text. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, 
sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Jesus gave back this man's life. Jesus gave him dignity. Jesus gave him clothes. Jesus gave him his life. This man was sitting there healed. This man was normal. This man was redeemed, restored, healed. And maybe for the first time in a decade, maybe in the first time in a long time, maybe he was smiling, just talking with his Savior, Jesus. Isn't that good? It's a good story for us to know. Now, I've never been demon-possessed by God's grace, but... I've been lost. I've been a son of Satan. I've sinned and I've enjoyed it. I've been broken and I've been a mess and I have been lost and I've been rejected. I have felt like an outcast. And so when I read about this, this man, I can relate. I have felt that far gone from God's presence and God's love. Have you? Have you felt that far gone that it's just, it's impossible? Just let me go. Scripture reveals to us, though, that no one, no one is too far gone for the reach of Jesus Christ. Not death, not demons. So here, this morning, you are not too far gone. You can be saved, you can be adopted, you can be restored back to Jesus Christ. So if God is tugging at your soul this morning, if God is calling you this morning, I beg you to talk to someone. I beg you to come to the front after the service and say, I thought I was too far gone, but God's word says otherwise. I thought I couldn't be saved. I thought the church walls were going to fall down when I walked in. I am full of sin. I've, I've done horrible things, but I'm here to say God can save you. <clears throat> Others here, maybe we're doing great with Christ. Others here, maybe we're loving Jesus, we're walking with Jesus, we're proclaiming Jesus. God is good. But maybe there's someone in your life that you think is legion. Maybe there's someone in your life that you think they're too far gone. I stand here this morning, humbly admit that I had someone I thought was too far gone. They're too resistant, they're too angry. They hate the church. They kind of hate me. Satan's grip is too strong. <clears throat> and for years, I kind of stopped praying. I lost sight of the power and the authority and the timing of God. If you have someone in your life that is that, Someone in your life that you've kind of given up on. Someone in your life that you kind of think, it's too late. 
I ask and I beg, look at God's word, know his character, and know that he can restore. And as the band comes up, I just want to end with this one quote. This is from Ray Ortland. He says this, There is no temperament Jesus cannot control. There is no madness he cannot soothe. There is no darkness he cannot illuminate. There is no chain he cannot break. There is no raving he cannot calm. There is no shame he cannot dignify. There is no madness he cannot clothe. There is no legion he cannot command. And it is because he is the Son of God of the Most High, Jesus Christ.